0: Have you ever been curious about becoming an educator or platform artist in our industry? In today's episode, we sit down with the incredible Sean Goddard, an international platform artist. Sean shares how he overcame some of his biggest challenges.
1: I was the kid that would call out of school if I had to do a public speaking presentation. I was so scared of getting in front of people. I hated being like, looked at.
0: Fun stories from his early performance days and I just remember
1: trying to do this education and my first time up there, and there was like four flies like landing on my face and like on the model. So that was my first experience. And if you can get through flies landing on you and still try and hold a good composure, then you could.
0: But most importantly, a ton of key learnings and advice for anyone already in or thinking about the education and artist path. There are so many gems in this episode, I can't wait for you to hear Sean's story. Welcome to The Salon Scoop, a podcast by Salon SOS. I'm your host, Scott Moon, the founder of Salon SOS, and I'm obsessed with helping salon professionals live their best life. In this show, we shop talk all things salon to bring you real life stories, debates, entertainment, and inspiration Help you find happiness and success in this beautiful industry. If you work in the salon industry in any capacity, this podcast is open to you. So set down your scissors or rinse out that toner and let's get into it. Hey there, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Salon Scoop Podcast. Today, We have the pleasure of getting the scoop on the one and only Sean Goddard. This is going to be a super fun episode. I'm really excited uh, for this and to kind of be able to catch up with you, Sean. I actually had the pleasure of knowing Sean way, way back when he wasn't famous at all. Uh, (laughs) He was just a regular regular stylist. I don't even know, Sean, if you remember, uh, you were working on a salon in Toronto and King Street West. Do you remember the name of it?
1: king street west yes that was um lift salon i believe
0: yes i think that's it that's actually i do remember that's that's where i met you for the very first time um when i was doing some salon tours and anyways it's been a joy to kind of watch you develop and grow into the industry leader that you are today over that time frame i'd say kind of like 15 years ish um for those that don't know all of sean's credentials I'd be shocked if you if you follow the industry you you should but I mean he's an international Redkin artist you know doing hair shows events around the world uh, he's if it's a major hair show going on you can pretty much guarantee that Sean is one of the uh, you know lead facilitators of that uh, of that event he's been a color genius throughout his career and a staple at the redken exchange in New York. And of course, he's got a Naha trophy uh, to his name, several finalist finalist appearances, and you know does a whole lot of everything else in between. Uh, Sean, it's it's been amazing to know you and to really kind of work with you for so many years. See your see your journey, and I just want to thank you so much for being on our show today.
1: Yeah, thank you so much for having me. It's always good to reunite with a fellow Canadian crew.
0: Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Well, Sean, one thing that we um, we like to start every single one of our episodes with is a SOS signature question. So I'm gonna hit you off right off the bat with, if you could do any celebrity's hair that you have not done yet, who would it be and why?
1: I love this question. I get asked it all the time. My answer if anyone follows me or knows me, I'm a huge Mariah Carey fan. We call ourselves lambs in that world. So I would love to do her hair. And I'm working on that connection. You know, Tracy Cunningham, our friend, does her hair. And I keep telling her on the side, I'm like, if you ever need me to hold foils, I will be there in a second
0: amazing Well, that would be so much fun well make sure that you uh let us know when that happens because if you put it out there right and you start manifesting it it will uh it will happen at some point so um,
1: until she blocks me from texting her about doing where i carry his hair with her then well you know i've gone too far
0: well then you just find a different angle (laughs) (laughs) so when one door closes another one opens another one opens (laughs) Awesome. Sean, we want to give our listeners a real sense of sort of what it's like to go through the educator artist journey. But I like to always start just by asking how you got into the industry in the first place, because everyone's story is is so unique. So how did you first decide that you were going to be a stylist?
1: So um, it was an interesting journey. I think the fastest way to explain it is that uh, like a lot of people, I didn't know what I wanted to do at first, but I knew that I was creative and I found myself always doing friends hair in high school um, just kind of for fun. I loved going to the salon and seeing what was happening when girls would go get their hair done. Uh, I'd go back and try and do hair in the bathroom with whatever products I could find. And, you know, the results were okay. We're teenagers, whatever. Um, Fast forward, when it was time to figure out a career, I knew that I wasn't in the uh, academic world per se, that it was just going to be something creative. But, you know, at the time being a hairstylist was very much still not, and I know still to some people, it's not thought of as a career, but like at the time, it was really not something that you would consider going into unless you were like, you know, a stay at home mom or you got a family. It wasn't thought of being like a a booming career where you could make money. So um, one of my friends actually got into doing hair. I went into hair school at Hair Design Center in Nova Scotia. That's where I started. And he was like, it's really fun. You should consider doing it. And so the reality was I had to um, get into something very fast that I could support myself in. So hair school is a shorter period of learning than a lot of other things. So I jumped into it with like, what do I got to lose? It was something that I was interested in, but let's see how with training, how far I can come with that. So that was kind of what got me in the door. And honestly, after that, there's there's been no looking back
0: just been one thing after the next uh yeah and when the when would you say that you decided that you wanted to go down the the educator artist path and what was that trigger for you
1: so there was a few things that brought me to that world. Um, one, I never would have expected that I would be here um, because I was actually, believe it or not, shy, um, kind of soft-spoken, didn't really put myself out there in the way that I do now. Stop, so at the time, stop, stop. yeah, no I, way. <laughs> I was the kid that would call out of school if I had to do a public speaking presentation. I was so scared of getting in front of people. I hated being like, looked at, I know, LOL. Uh, but you know things have changed with training which we'll probably get into as well but um, I think the thing that got me into it was when I first left hair school and started at my first salon I realized really quickly that um, education was key to my success as a stylist and I had a lot of great opportunities with the people that I was working with and the school that I went to to push me into those opportunities and realize that world even existed so um I realized early on also that education's expensive too. So the thing was, I'm like, well, if I could get involved with this company, then they're going to educate me and I'm going to be able to get opportunities by volunteering a lot of free time to shadow um, my who turned out to be mentors um, and get all of that education for free and then ultimately be able to add that to my tool belt. But I want to share one key thing about how I, did get discovered, let's say, it was with one of my sales reps in the salon, actually a full-time uh, educator that was in my salon. She came up to me and was like, I think you'd be really great doing, uh, being an artist. And I was like, "Me no! like, there's no way, I'm never going to get up in me? front of people, me. And uh, she was like, no, we, we train you. Like you go through a whole process. And she explained how the Redkin artist training uh, really worked. So it was with her belief that ultimately got me my foot into the door.
0: Um, And yeah, I can't, I can never look back now. Yeah, sometimes other people are going to see something in us that maybe we don't see ourselves. Right. So exactly. It it kind of uh, sometimes takes that push. But I think what's important is that people are at least open to those possibilities so when somebody does come and present you you know with a uh, an option and an opportunity that you try to be as open as possible to let yourself experience those because you never know where it could lead right and you're you're a prime example of that you know one one little uh you know one little question like that from your sales rep uh, that kind of leads you to take one step to maybe like, you know, try something for the first time and then, you know, look at where you are today. So um, the paths can be, uh, can be abundant for anybody out there who's, you know, open to uh, open to try different things. I'm curious to know from your opinion and having been, you know, in the uh, educator artist world for so long now, you see this as well as I do. Why is it that so many people sort of glamorize and want to become educators and stylists, right? It's like people idolize, you know, you when you're up on stage and, you know, other, you know, other big artists and it's like, oh, I want to do that. Like, why do you feel that so many people want to become educators and and stylists? And is it all that it's cracked up to be?
1: So there's a lot of roads in this conversation, but the first one that comes to mind for me is really that Um, I think about why I saw it as being glamorous and now I won't lie. Are there times where it feels glamorous? Absolutely. Is it amazing to go somewhere and people are excited to see you and want to say hi to you? Of course, but the non-glamorous side of it would be that you're, you know, you're literally traveling every single weekend sometimes. Um, so you're missing out on pretty much any home life that would happen, whether that's relationships, family, birthdays, you name it, you kind of have to be available then to go do whatever you signed up to be doing. Um, so a lot of the, your personal life takes a backseat. So you have to be aware of that. But when I thought about it, what was glamorous to me was really the thought of being able to travel around at the time I hadn't been into a lot of places. You know, I was from the East Coast. I moved to Toronto, Canada was like kind of most of it. Um, so I really wanted to travel and be able to get around the world. And again, me being um rifty and cost effective, like if I can get someone else to pay for this, that's better than uh me having to pay for it myself and be able to experience all of this. So that's where I was coming from. I was I was really young at the time, you know, like I got into the artist world, I was probably like 20 three, maybe 24. So quite young compared to a lot of my peers that were doing it already. So um, yeah, it was just wanting to get around and travel. And that felt glamorous to me. Now, when you actually get out on the road and travel, and you end up in some places that maybe aren't as glamorous, that's when you have the reality that you're like, wow, I'm alone in a hotel room in the middle of nowhere. Um, Meanwhile, they sent me to Saskatoon, Saskatchewan (laughs) to do a course here. That was my first big break so I can't forget Saskatoon to be honest I love that we went there because my very first main stage show was in Saskatoon um Oh my god that's hilarious a, Yeah yeah okay. so that, yeah you never forget where you started
0: For sure wow That's crazy and what what was kind of the maybe the key to success like how did you get your first real shot to 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 be on stage sort of what what was that transition like
1: so I think any big major brand that you work for is going to be looking for your willingness to work, obviously. Um, the more you give to them, the more they're going to give back to you. And so the fact that as a young 20-something, I put aside you know a lot of the things that you'd be doing when you're in your 20s, like figuring it out, I put all of that aside and fully focused on uh, brand and my salon business at the time, like working behind the chair. And so um, I think that they realized ultimately the commitment that I was giving to them. Therefore they gave the commitment back to me. And, you know, we've seen several people come into it and dip their foot in the artist pool and they do great and they have a great run. But I think sometimes the realization on the artist then is like, Oh my God, I'm in too deep. I can't keep up with this to leave the life that I have at home or to leave my salon business or things like that um, to make it worth it because The catch I will say is that, you know, when you're new, you're trying to build your name in the industry on a, on a stage side. So, um, you have to think about in the beginning, sometimes you're not going to be making the same amount doing education as you might behind the chair if you're like a booked and busy slamming stylist. So it kind of takes time. And to be honest, that's where we lose a lot of people in the educator journey because they real there's a lot more money behind the chair at first, um, especially if you're a booked and busy stylist. Now, again, I'll say because I started this so young and I had just moved to Toronto, I didn't have a full-time clientele behind the chair yet. So for me, being able to work part-time behind the chair and then assist and volunteer and take the opportunities, even though it might not have been paying a lot of money, it was still able to help me get by and get me to the level that I'm at. So you do have to make a decision, is behind the chair gonna be my priority or am I trying to get my foot out the door into other um, opportunities?
0: Nice, okay. And so what would you say was your key to success to really kind of accelerate as quickly as you did through the artist world?
1: Um, I think the big key obviously is like your return on investment, we call it. So it's like, if Redkin, being the brand that I'm with, invests in me to put me in these opportunities, like a, a main stage show at Saskatoon ABA, or in someone's salon, that's one of our top accounts. If I'm not performing on my end, and they're not getting great feedback about my presentation or what I taught them, then I think that's really what helps you excel. And for me, The the easiest thing about this, and I realized it very soon on, was as an educator, the the more and basics, not the word, the more you can simplify um, what people do every day behind the chair, the better you will excel. And I think there was a time when educators would go out of their way to try and do, you know, something that was really crazy and really wild, because some of that is your own ego of you trying to say, look, I'm a creative hairstylist. This is what I can do. But the reality is when you go out there in the salons, nine times out of 10, people are looking for a new foil placement, how to do a balayage faster, how to save time, doing regular hair that 95% of the clientele is asking for. So when I shifted my education into understanding that it was really just about teaching people how to do what they do easier and simpler... One, it took a ton of pressure off my shoulders because I didn't have to become a creative genius. I just had to learn how to share a message to make it simple for other people to remember and give them lots of tips and tricks. And then that really took off for me because the salons I was going to were saying, wow, I learned so much from him. And in my mind, I was like, I'm just teaching them the stuff that I do every day. So it really just turned into this great um, synergy of like realizing that you really don't have to overcomplicate things. Just help people do what they're trying to do and make it easier for them.
0: Okay, let's uh, let's talk about that first that first experience. Uh, you know, of being uh, on stage in Saskatoon at the ABA it was your first time. How nervous were you beforehand? <laughs>
1: Oh, there's so many things to think about about that one. But yes, I was extremely nervous. Um, and, what did you, and, <laughs> and
0: what did you do? What did you do to kind of like help yourself get get through that? Right, that 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 nervousness, that that fear, that the you know the scared of of you know a failure or whatever it might be. Uh, help help people through that experience because everybody experiences that. Not just the first time. I'm sure that you know, it, right. It's a kind of an ongoing thing, but the first time is always the hardest.
1: it's it's very true. And I still think back to a lot of the things, even I think taste is one thing when you go back that far, when I look at the photos from it, I'm like, wow, we really uh, can't believe we're allowed to do that. But um, it goes back to first off, you know, we we both know Terry Ritzy and he was really the person that gave me the uh, opportunity and said, you're here, you're ready, go do it. I was like, I am kind of like losing my mind. But Um, I was set up to win because I was put up there with two other artists that had been doing this for a while. So, you know, I think for anyone that's getting into something your first time, the best thing you can do is use your resources of other people that have been doing it and ask questions. Because the reality is if anyone's in the world to be an educator, they're there, they should be there to help everybody. So it shouldn't be like, oh, I don't want to help you because you might be better than me. And so that's very much what I did. I relied heavily on the girls that I was with to help me get through it. And they really helped take the edge off. Um, The the funny detail about this, just to make it a bit more lighthearted here, was that the doing the show, there was a livestock show that was either had just finished or was still happening on an off site or just over. And so um, there was a lot of flies flying around. And I just remember trying to do this education and my first time up there. And there was like horse flies, like landing on my face and like on the model. So that was my first experience. And if you can get through flies landing on you and still try and hold a good composure, then you're good.
0: Was the, uh, was the smell a little bit off as well? It was a little off as well. Yeah, I wasn't going to mention that part. <laughs> good fun. Well, it makes for great memories, right? Um, It sure does. Yeah. I also, I want to come back to something you, you touched upon in, in your sort of intro, how you used to be super shy and timid and scared of public speaking. So obviously as an educator and especially a platform artist, you have to become very, very confident and comfortable on stage presenting, presenting, a message clearly and like you said in a simple way in front of large audiences how did you overcome that fear and maybe that tie it into sort of like how you would recommend others to sort of tackle that because fear of public speaking is massive it's uh you know most people actually i think I'm not mistaken. It's actually the number one fear in life, uh, ahead of ahead of dying. Uh, so, yeah, yeah. how did you overcome that, and and how? What tips do you have for others?
1: So, uh, two huge things for me, and I, I will admit, first off, it's it's definitely the biggest thing to overcome. Um, and I to say that I'm not nervous anymore is a lie. And we always say if you're not nervous anymore, then you're not doing it for the right reason. So, a little bit of nerves keeps you doing it for the right reason from your heart. But to not get nervous, I think the hardest thing about public speaking that we're afraid of is that, you know, that classic dream, like you're doing a speech and like you're in your underwear or something like that. It's that that feeling of people looking at you and all of those eyes staring at you. So what I find very helpful is a lot of people will choose to like, you know, uh, let's say it's a main stage and you're waiting backstage and they're going to call your name and suddenly you have to walk out on that stage and that's when all the eyes are on you. I find a lot of people hide in that backstage moment. And in that moment, when you're waiting to go out there, that's when the fear builds up because you're standing there, you're pacing, you're doing all this stuff. So what I like to do at any event, whether it's a class or a stage, is I actually like to start the event outside with the people. I don't believe that I'm any type of person that suddenly needs to be unveiled to the world on a stage. I can go out and meet and greet with the people that chose to come to my event. One, it makes them, it takes away that like, I'm on a stage, you're sitting in a chair watching me. Um, But also it takes away the energy. If you're shaking someone's hand or giving someone a hug, all of your nerves are then like kind of bouncing around the room then at that point. And you've broken down that wall of like, there's going to be this big moment where suddenly I'm going to come out and be unveiled. You've met half of them already. So I find that's what works best for me. Uh, But I will say the moment leading up to it, once I've done all that, and then I get backstage waiting for that big moment. Um, I do need like just a moment by myself. Sometimes if there's a team around. I'm like, guys, I just need to be here. And all I tell myself in that moment is just to be myself. The message is already in my head. If I didn't know it, I wouldn't be um, invited to speak there. And just reminding yourself those things. When you hear your name, you walk out. And it's I, the best way I can say it is it's literally showtime because it's Almost you are acting in a way if you're not naturally that person. So what I mean by that is like when I get up there, if you consider it like you're doing a play or something like that, even if you're not naturally that animated of a person or that out there as a a person, allow yourself to feel like you are because you're on a stage and a stage is for being grand and being bold and and, uh, holding an audience. So I think when I started to think of it as putting on this act, and I don't mean that with like my person. You know, I'm a nice person, and the way I am up there is kind of the way I am, but it's an amplified version of what I would be. And so, if you can think about it that way, like you're almost taking a hat off and putting it on when you get up there, that's the best advice I can give you.
0: Very nice, love that. Cool. Hope everyone is taking uh, taking some notes here. Um, I also I want to touch upon this because I feel like you were one of the first. In what I saw from my perspective as a wave of Canadian artists that started to emerge on the international scene. Um, and what I'm curious to know what you feel sort of triggered that uh, and how you feel that your journey has maybe made it easier for Canadian artists specifically to have those opportunities now at the international level.
1: So I think it's uh it's interesting point to point out that we have to call out as well as that this was all before the time of the influencer. Actually, a lot of this was before even social media existed. So yeah. the journey that, that I had and a lot of my fellow artists that were speaking about, we were doing this on a very different um, route than the way it's going now. So to answer that question, it's like, it was kind of like, I, I kind of broke through the, um, the U.S. side of things, if you will, by opportunities that I had of assisting a lot of the U.S. artists, specifically when we had opened our academy in Toronto. I lived there, I was available to come help out every weekend and I was like, yeah, I'll volunteer, I'll volunteer, I'll volunteer. So by working with all of those people, when I finally got to work with like the Sam Bias, the Chris Sorby's and the Chris Barons, I was on top of mind for them when they needed support to come in and do something like a symposium in the U.S. Um, So that was kind of my first big break was getting asked to work backstage at Symposium. Um, And like anything in this industry, it's all about connections. So myself being smart about that, once I got in the door, so to speak, then you want to meet everyone that's responsible for making decisions there, introduce yourself, make sure that you do the best you can and hope that you get asked back. So it kind of opened the door and I guess hopefully my good behavior and good example um, made them allow or made them realize that we have a lot more talent up the, up in Canada. And I think that's the, the key thing that was happening in this time was that we had so much, and I, I not had, because I do believe still that Canadian stylists are more talented than some of the other ones, I'll just say that. Um, we have a lot more of uh, really, really great stylists in Canada um, and so it's easier to stand out, I think. I think a lot of the times Canadians think we, that they don't stand out, but the fact is it's easier to stand out being a really strong stylist there um, to be able to get your name out there and to be able to cross over. So you're right, after I did it, there was several other artists that were able to come in and join the squad and really have a great representation of Canada on a global uh, Redkin scale.
0: Do you think that it's easier today with, you know, all the uh, digital means and, you know, social media channels that exist, you find that that makes it easier for people to get noticed or harder because there's so much more competition?
1: Yeah, it's, it's a tough one. Now, I think that if you are really um, to do social media, well, you really have to love it. And so if you love social media and you're willing to then give that your all, I think that it is easier because you know all the tricks and how to get yourself out there. Maybe you had a following already because you love social media so much. However, if you're on the other side of things and I'll put myself on this, this line, you know, I'm not no uh, spring chicken no more. And like when when I started social media, it wasn't even a thing. So my friends and I that are of, my age demographic are always joking about how we signed up to do hair and now we're signing up to like do TikTok dances and like record and be videographers. So right. it really has added like a whole other world to it. So I think if you're good at it, it gives you a good opportunity. If you're not so good at it, it can pose some challenges. Specifically, the biggest challenge is that nowadays most brands aren't um growing talent the same way that they did before because the un- Fortunate or unfortunate part of it is that everybody's looking at what kind of following do you have or what is your social media content, at least even if it's not follower based um, and are you active on it, and I think the reality is it's just a new currency in our business. And even if you're not a master of it, um, it's never too late to get into it, get someone to help you on it, to figure it out, to how you can use it to grow your business the way you want to. So if that's as an artist, my recommendation is that you need to start filming tutorials, um, education content, if it's to grow your salon business, obviously we know it's post that kind of stuff, like your before and afters and all that. But if you're looking to get into the artist world or teaching, you want to start focusing on what you can teach on your social media so that when you end up meeting with a brand, they can see what you're all about and what your style is.
0: Yeah, because it kind of becomes your portfolio, right? Whether you're absolutely whether you're a whether you're a stylist, you know, in a salon and you're target market is, you know, actual consumers to come in and have their hair done, your social media, what you're putting out there is your portfolio of work to showcase to potential consumers. If you're on the educator artist side, you know what, you're putting out a portfolio, uh, obviously, towards other stylists, but also towards, you know, the decision makers who are potentially going to invite you to, to do education and to do shows, uh, you know, because, that's how you can kind of showcase what you're, what you're capable of. So, you know, if you're out there today and you're still not, you know, super active, uh, I think what Sean said is you just consistency is, you know, probably the most important. You just have to start putting yourself out there. You don't have to be perfect, you know, right off the bat. And nor should you wait until you feel like you're an expert before you start, you know, that's the, uh, certainly a tip that I would provide is, you just have to start and you're going to kind of evolve and grow and become better and better by actually doing it. And it's the same as, you know, pretty much any skill that we're learning in life, you know, you have to just practice it and you'll, you'll just keep getting better and better. Sean, I want to talk a little about your social media uh, while we're on this topic, because you clearly don't just post for the sake of posting. Like it's, there's some strategy behind it. And can you share with our listeners, what is your sort of intention or the purpose behind your content that you're putting out there?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So um, let's talk about two sides of content. So there's the feed itself. So what you're seeing on the grid. And I think one thing that comes with that, if you're hesitant about social media or maybe not as on board as others, is it's almost the same fear we talked about with public speaking. You're putting yourself out there to everybody to see. So I'll admit, even for myself, I used to get very concerned with what that feed looked like. Did everything match? Did it look pretty? And the reality is that was the way Instagram was when it was more photo-based when it first started. Nowadays, it's not about that. It's just about getting stuff on there. Don't overthink it. And that's still something that I struggle with being a bit of a, you know, I want it to be as perfect as possible. But more recently, I've been playing around with just putting things out there that, are not even necessarily new. And that's a key thing also. Social media doesn't have to be what's happening right now. You can reuse clips and content from many things that you've recorded um, to edit into something that is going to go out and ends up being, maybe will become viral. There's this one video that I keep posting every year or so. And it was my first thing to actually become viral. And it was this you doing a finger wave with the curling iron. And every time I post it, even though it's been out there forever, it picks up again and again and again. So, and it's the most raw video. was not overthought. It's, there's a girl popping up behind it. The hair's a little messy. It's really the reality is people love raw content now and not being so overproduced, which is where I used to try and do it. And then I would feel overwhelmed and not want to do it. So if you just do it in the fly you'll be better off than not doing it at all. That's one thing to say. Now, the other thing is that, and this is a classic line is people buy people before they buy things. We all know that line. And I think sometimes uh, there used to be this thought that your social media, if you're a professional, that you never showed anything of your life. It was like, this is what I do. And this is how I do hair. I will tell you that that those times have changed more people are interested in me and than sometimes the hair that I do. Um, so it's interesting to think about. So this is where stories come into play. Um, if you want to, my advice is if you want to show personal life, do it. Because when I follow people, if I just see a page that's all a bunch of back of heads of pretty hair, um, I'm not that into it because I see a lot of pages with pretty hair. I'm a hairstylist. So I want to... It's kind of boring. So I want to know a little bit more about you. I want to see at least even who you are. Sometimes I scroll people's pages and I don't even see a face of who the artist is that's doing all this beautiful stuff. So definitely show yourself and use stories for that. It's a great way to be personal um, and stories help so much with engagement. And I'll leave it at that engagement is key. You can't put stuff out there and not reply to everybody. Um, So the engagement is what helps your numbers grow. So when people are commenting on your stuff, You gotta be ready to comment back quickly. That's what algorithm is looking at. Are you engaging in being social? you just put stuff up there and you're not engaging, well, one, people will stop commenting on your stuff and following with you, but also you're not going to reach the heights that other people are because it's based on engagement, not just posts, but also um, stories. And one other thing, focus on video. It's crazy to say, but like the photo is kind of dying. And I, I've experienced it myself on my social as well. If you're going to do a video or a reel, you're going to get the boost from it because that just seems to be what people want to see right now.
0: One thousand percent. We preach this all the time on on our end, being digital marketing specialists. And, um, you know, we have other episodes that we do just, you know, talking about different, you know, digital marketing tips and strategies and whatnot. So couldn't agree more uh, with what you're saying, Sean. Perfect. I was like, did I say it right? (laughs) (laughs) Totally, totally. Video is absolutely, absolutely, you know, uh, the most important thing right now. And the personal, people can see this you know, you look at all of your different posts and the ones of just, you know, you, you know, with some friends or family on a on a weekend afternoon, always is the one that gets the most engagement, you know, the most likes, yeah. the most comments. That's just the way that it is because people are on social media to be social. That's why it's called social media. And, you know, they, they like to just kind of see the updates, what people are up to and that kind of human connection. That's what you actually will engage with. It's nice to see, you know, nice education and nice photos and you know nice work and that you're going to see but you might not engage with it as much so uh, you definitely want to put yourself out there um, uh, you know with uh, with your content Sean I want to ask you a specific question about yours because I tend to notice you um, you know on top of the great education and uh, you know results that you deliver I associate you quite a bit with Fashion. There's definitely a fashion component that you're putting forward in your social media. Correct me if I'm wrong, but to me, that's sort of becoming or it has been and it's a strengthening part of your kind of personal brand that you're putting out there. Am I am I fair in saying that you are 100
1: percent fair in saying that, because here's what I realized was that once I started to put more of myself out there was when people would like pictures of me more than pictures of hair that I spent hours doing. So I was like, okay, well, this is easy. I like fashion. I like getting dressed up. I already have all the fun stuff, that the clothes. So why not make some documentation of it? (laughs) So once I started doing that, I realized that that was putting my engagement really high up there. And again, that's just going back to people liking a person and buying into that person. Um, And then of course, they're going to support my education and all of that stuff. But yeah, it's, it's uh, definitely people are into my vibes.
0: (laughs) Yeah. And see, then I think, but that's what you also kind of want to think about what's going to make you a little bit unique, right. A little bit different because otherwise everybody's feed just looks like, you know, picture of hair, picture of hair, picture of hair, picture of hair. So uh, you know, it's nice to sort of find the thing that you are passionate about and, you know, don't be shy to kind of share that a little bit with the world. And that becomes what makes you a little bit unique uh, and will actually increase the attraction, you know, to your, to your profile, to your content as a whole. So anyhow, uh, I think those are great, uh, great insights uh, on the sort of digital social media front. Let's just come back a little bit. You, we've talked a lot about Canada, but you obviously you know, now live in New York. You moved there several years ago. When was it that you moved to New York, and what was uh, what was your main motivation for moving there?
1: Yeah, I moved in 2016, and um, by that point, I had already been working at the King Exchange in New York for maybe like seven years. At that by then, so um, I had been coming to New York so often for like a week at a time, two weeks at a time, that um, and. You know, my life in Toronto, where I was living, was already on the road. So, by coming to New York more and more, one, it was so close, but it t- was taking away more and more time of the few times I was actually in Toronto and not, you know, all across Canada. So, my point in this is that life started to um, happen more here for me. I started to make more friends in New York City. Obviously, the brand is based in New York City. And I just knew that um, it was always something that I wanted to do from starting in Halifax which we would consider a smaller city. And then going to Toronto, you know that was, um, it it was hard, but I did it and I got through and finally worked my way up. And I I don't know, I guess I was just like, let's try this all over again, like one more time um, and see what we do. And I think I was very nervous in the beginning because I knew that I was gonna be taking a risk from leaving my job part-time behind the chair to guarantee that, that client income that we all know and love. And then my part-time education—I was risking that all to come into this market, having no idea if I was going to get booked. Um, I wasn't going to be working in a salon. I knew that was a choice I was going to make. That I was going to commit myself fully to education and editorial photo shoots and things like that. So I didn't want to get tied up behind the chair again. So I was really taking a risk of: Will I? Will they like me? Will the, Will these people book me down here? And I'll tell you before I even before I even fully. Lived here. I was already like booked out for that year, so that made me realize that um, I had made the right choice, and that things were going to be going good here. And I think that if anyone is familiar, like you know, obviously there's a lot of differences between the U.S. and Canada with with everything. But one thing I will say is, if you come to this country with the willingness to work hard you can run circles and laps around people. So, um, you know, I'm just like, if the opportunity is there, I'm gonna come and grab it. Watch out, team Canada.
0: <laughs> go, go, go. Sean, we're gonna start sort of wrapping up here. I just have a couple of, couple of questions left. What's what's one thing that you're maybe most proud of in your career so far?
1: Oh, I mean, there's two two sides to that for me. I know you yes asked for one, but I can never just pinpoint it. One thing it would be winning Naha. Is the question not clear enough? <laughs> I know. Okay. One thing, winning Naha. Winning Naha this last year was something that I worked really hard for. Um, I had won one previously with a team, which felt great, but I wanted to win one on my own. So getting that last year was definitely the the biggest thing.
0: Nice. That's fantastic. What about some some future professional goals? I mean, you've You've come so far, uh, you know, from your humble beginnings in, uh, in Halifax, Nova Scotia, and you're at a place that you never even sort of thought about. So it might not be possible to really see where you could be in another, you know, 15 years down the road, but what are some maybe short to medium term goals for you? Yeah, short-term goal.
1: I'm really trying to work on more um, celebrity clientele. I think it's it's fun. It's something that I like to do. I'm obviously obsessed with pop culture. So um, the last one that I had recently was Lindsay Lohan, which was amazing. Um, and I seem to have gotten myself in a Reds um, world. So I'm actually, I can't say who it is, but working out something with someone that's extremely extremely famous, um, also a redhead that I'm hoping comes through as well. So getting some more celebrities in the near future, what I'm trying to work on. If we talk about long-term down the road, that's where I really am still doing some mapping and planning on how to really, it's kind of at the point to be strategic with what I'm doing and how I'm utilizing my time out there. So I'm just trying to figure out exactly what that's going to look like. Um, But this year, it's definitely just getting back into the world. I think, you know, we're finally open up again, fully, and uh, wanting to be able to get out there and do more international. So I have a few um, key international countries that I'm going to this year that I'm really excited for as well.
0: Very cool. All right, we are going to wrap up, uh, wrap up today's show with one more SOS signature question for you, Sean. Um, What advice would you give your younger self, if you were starting all over again in the industry? And therefore, obviously, kind of, you know, advice that you'd give to younger stylists today out there.
1: Yeah, I think the biggest thing would be to not doubt yourself. And then the reminder of the classic line, which is like fake it till you make it. Both of those things come in very heavy hand in hand to me because I think as a younger stylist, I doubted myself a lot. Um, especially when it came to my age, being younger made me feel like I wasn't going to be as good as maybe somebody that was older or someone had that been doing it longer. And so I found very quickly that if you just have the confidence and fake it till you make it, you're going to get there eventually. It's just all about how you carry yourself and how your confidence guides you through it.
0: Love that. Great, uh, great message and uh, a great way to wrap up this conversation today. Thank you so much for being here, Sean, and giving us the scoop on your amazing experiences and journey so far. If people want to connect with you on social, how can they find you?
1: Yeah, you can find me on Instagram. It's at Sean Godard. one D G O D A R D.
0: Easy as pie. And as a listener, if you've enjoyed this episode, we encourage you, you know, feel free to reach out to Sean, but also, you know, share this with at least one other industry professional that you feel could benefit from it. Maybe somebody who's, you know, in the educator artist path in the early stages or someone who's considering it, uh, you know, let them listen to, you know, some great advice and insights of someone who's, you know, gone down the path. I think Sean has shared some really, really wonderful advice and just kind of key information to, to consider. To make sure that you know, and to see if this is really the right path for uh, for you or not. So, thank you again, Sean, uh, for being here with us. Uh, really, uh, really appreciate that, and look forward to seeing you uh, as you continue your incredible, uh, incredible career. Uh, it's it's great to uh, great to follow along. Thank you so much. It was good to see you and catch up. Thank you so much for listening to the Salon Scoop podcast. This show is produced by Salon SOS, a digital marketing agency by industry professionals for industry professionals. If you want simple and affordable solutions for any of your salon marketing needs, such as websites, client loyalty, Google search rankings, social media, or more, come visit us at salonsos.ca or on Instagram at salon.s.o.s. If you wanna hear more great episodes like this and help us continue to bring the industry content, it would mean so much to us if you would support us in one of the following ways. Share this episode with just one other industry professional and either rate our show on Spotify or write us a quick review on Apple Music. We wanna hear your feedback. If you have follow-up questions or ideas for future episodes, please reach out. DM us on Instagram, at salon.s O.S. or hit us up on our website at salonSOS.ca. Again, thanks so much for listening. Now go get your hustle on. Keep smiling, and we'll catch you on our next episode.